Lovely to have you with us this morning. If you've uh, got your Bibles with you, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, that would be a miracle and revival all at once. This modern generation of people. Uh, you might have your Bible with you on your phone. Uh, so um, you can grab your Bible out on your phone or your iPad or your desktop, whatever it is that you uh, brought along with you this morning. Because we'll, uh, we'll be in the Bible this morning. Um, as we are every Sunday, so there you go. But this Sunday, I don't have the passages on the screen. Uh, hey, welcome. Hey, those of you, first time back for the year. Lovely to have you along. Those of you that have been absent, um, if, you're, if you're laughing out loud at that, I don't know who that could be, but oh, if you're still laughing out loud at that, lovely to have you. Um, we're in a season, I've been talking about this the last few weeks, which it feels like we're coming back to church. Because um, I'm laughing, I'm joking this morning. Uh, but, you know, Easter for many people was their first time back for the year. And, and there is a sense of coming back together and coming back uh, as the church. Uh, I've been talking about church and life and scripture in light of that. Uh, what are we coming back to? Uh, there's some articles about churches in the headlines at the moment. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, I've been conscious of them. And I've been, I've been deliberate in some of my words recently in order to kind of cover some of that. But also to... Um, to ensure that we're, we're coming back to the same thing. That we're, we're coming back with the same anticipation. Uh, we're coming back to be on the same page. And uh, so I've written, been writing paragraphs of intentionality and they've kind of ballooned out and I was going to read them all this morning but it's, it's kind of got bigger. It's almost a chapter now for a book. But uh, I'll post them all on uh, Facebook once they're all kind of done. Uh, talking about what the church is and what the church isn't, that we're, we're gathering as a discipleship community, we're not gathering for an event or a production or a show or something, we're gathering to participate with one another, to be a one another community to each other. And so I, I want to, in that vein, kind of wrap up a few thoughts this morning in regards to church life and scripture. I want to read one of the paragraphs I've already read and then add two paragraphs today. And then we'll switch across to more preachy-preachy mode and go from there. So this is us this morning. Uh, life isn't passive. This is a paragraph I've already done. Start with. Life isn't passive. Uh, you don't get to sit back and watch. Life requires engagement. Uh, our world is a theater for action. The question, therefore, is how shall we act? Uh, this is not straightforward. As Christ followers, we want to live and act in a way that's good for us now and good for us in the future. We want to live and act in a way that is good for us and good for our neighbors. We want to live in a manner that is honorable and pleasing to God. We want to live as the faithful representatives and the faithful worshipers we were created to be. We want to live the Sermon on the Mount. That was kind of the opening paragraph. Then there was a few paragraphs talking about why we need the local church and the body of Christ and communion and a bunch of different things to help us in that journey. Because it's not as easy. It's not as straightforward as we might think. Uh, everybody in the world lives slightly differently. And, and we, we want to live in a way that brings honor to God and is centered around the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we need the local church, a creation of the Spirit, the community and communion of the saints, the people of God who have been called out of an old way of life and into the newness of God. We've done all that. And a bunch of other stuff in between. So this is new this morning up on the screen. As well, we need the treasures of the broader church, the capital C church. 
the body of Christ in the world for the last 2,000 years. For the future of the church is not unprecedented novelty. The future of the church is not unprecedented novelty, but rather fidelity and integration. The historic faith of the church coaching us forward into the life of Christ. The historic faith of the church coaching us forward into the life of Christ. We need the faithful, uh, we need the faith passed down by the apostles, the wisdom of the church fathers, the example of the saints, the perspectives of the great traditions. I think if you, uh, we've talked about this at church before, but if you were to do anything to do with church history, there's many churches, but there's four or five kind of maybe six particular traditions that are well established over the last 2000 years. And I think each are kind of custodians of aspects of gospel truth that we do well from to learn from each. Uh, the perspectives of the great traditions, the insights, understandings and resources that the church has developed as custodians of the Christian faith for two millennia. For our faith is not a pick-a-path adventure, a $2 pick-and-mix bag of lollies, or a pluralistic kaleidoscope of personal wishes. Certainly it is an adventure. Certainly it is colourful. Certainly it is broad and wide, grounded and deep. But it is as ancient as it is fresh. It isn't something we get to make up for ourselves. Any novelty will be the previously seen, seen in a new light. The overlook rediscovered, or our own experiences of that which we have not known before. Which isn't to say that the faith of our youth, the faith of yesteryear, is the faith that we hold today. For one of the great mysteries of the Christian journey is that growth is as much about letting go as it is to holding fast. To change and become like a child, to develop a childlike faith, takes a lot of growing up in the things of God. To change and become a child, to develop a childlike faith, takes a lot of growing up in the things of God. That's our paragraph of intentionality today that builds on a whole bunch of other things and feeds into what I want to talk about today. So after the, over the last kind of... Three weeks we've been exploring one of the treasures of the great church or of the of the church tradition that's been passed down to us, the lectionary. Uh, the lectionary, we've got the lectionary, we've got the set prayers, we've got the liturgical calendar. What are they? They are the distilled wisdom of many, many hundreds of years of, of insight and reflection and thought by Christian leaders. Uh, hundreds of years worth of Christian reflection. Each a gift offered to us as a local church living in the year of the Lord 2022. So we've got hundreds of years worth of reflection offered to us as this church that exists in 2022. Uh, we've got the liturgical... Oh, PowerPoint's gone. We've got the liturgical... Uh, we've got the slides, guys. I think it's up there somewhere. Might have died on us. Oh, next one. Oh. Maybe, I might be forward or backwards, I'm not sure. We've got the liturgical calendar. Oh yeah, liturgical calendar. Our, our orders our lives in and around the life of Christ. In contrast to other calendars, uh, you can have the financial year. We're counting down, we're not now, but we were counting down to the end of the financial year. Uh, you have the seasons, of course. And most of human history is organized by the seasons. You know, um, 
uh, I have to think, what are the seasons again? Uh, spring and summer and autumn and winter and the harvest and when you plant things and when you, when you harvest things. Most of human life has been organized around the seasons of, of uh, temperature and things like that. We live in Taranga, so we don't, you know, warm clothes for me are jeans and a jersey. Uh, I, you know, if I'm in Wellington or something, I realize I don't have warm clothes. I just have Taranga clothes and it's freezing here. Uh, my brother and sister lived in Canada for a while. Sister lived in Canada. They, you know, they're going out in minus 18 or something. And it's like, oh man, I thought seven was pretty cold. Minus 18 is a little bit. We don't really have it in Tauranga, but life organized around that. But we also are given the liturgical calendar, the story of Christ. I remember a carpet cleaner said, oh, when would you like the carpet clean? And I said, oh, I don't, don't really mind. Any time in Lent's fine. And he said, what? I said, I said, I don't really mind. Any time in Lent will be fine. And he said, what? And I was like, I don't, why are we not communicating? We're not, oh, sorry. Anytime on the dates of the something or other, you, know, you live into that calendar. The liturgical calendar orientates us around the life of Christ, the, the highs and the lows of the life of Christ. Um, churches, I think, should orientate themselves around the liturgical calendar rather than organizational momentum or big events or let's get five guest speakers in winter when it's a bit slow just to keep the momentum going. It's like, well, that doesn't really translate to the, the lived experience of actual human existence, which has wonderful days, but has its lows as well. And we have the set prayers. Uh, they teach us to pray. Uh, the set prayers are kind of like the chords. If you're learning to play the guitar, you learn the chords, and once you've learned the chords, then you learn how to put your own songs together. Kind of like. The set prayers kind of teach us how to pray. They're kind of the chords, and once you learn the chords, you can then go and put your own prayers together in whatever order you want. Otherwise, what happens is we just pray the same prayer again and again. Angry people pray angry prayers. God, you need to! Greedy people pray greedy prayers. Lord, I wish that you would. You know, um, you know, anxious people pray anxious prayers. God, I'm a bit worried. And, and it, we tend to recycle ourselves through the same prayers again and again. Um, when we pray the set prayers, we pray all sorts of subjects and all sorts of attitudes and all sorts of things that we wouldn't consciously perhaps think to pray. This morning we prayed in regards to Lydia and Paul and the woman that were gathered on the Sabbath. I'll unpack that in a minute. Um, it's like, we wouldn't have, that's not a normal prayer. Lisa's like, that's a weird prayer. Why are we praying that prayer? I'll tell you why we're praying that prayer in a minute. <laughs> Coach us to pray. We have the lectionary readings, open scripture in order to bring insight and coaching in the Christian life. And normally there's four or five different passages selected from the Old Testament and the New Testament kind of put together for each day. And sometimes it's really obvious the theme and how they kind of link together. And then other times it's like, why do they select these passages? What have these got to do with each other? And over the last little while, we've been unpacking some of those lectionary passages. Together they serve as discipleship tools. To coach us in the way of Christ. You want to learn what it is to be a Christian? Live the Christian calendar for 12 months. Live the seasons of the, the... Go through Lent and Easter and then ordinary time and Advent and Pentecost and the feasts along the way and Christmas and just live into that and, and reflect on what are we meant to be learning in this season? And it shapes you in the way of Christ. It's a discipleship tool. Uh, it's not actually one year's worth of Insight, though, it's three years. There's year A, year B, year C. It actually cycles around over, what's that, 1,055 days or something like that kind of thing. There's three years worth. Want to learn what it is to be a Christian? Well, live the calendar, live the prayers, read the scriptures for a year or for three years, and you'll come out the other side of that. Man, I feel like I've got this. It's the distilled wisdom of the church for 2,000 years. There for you. We haven't made this up. This isn't a new thing. It's been around for a long time. But we're in a tension, 
you know, we, we struggle to pay attention, us modern people. We prefer 40 days of this or seven keys to that, or even if you could shrink it down to three quick steps. Three quick steps would be better. The wisdom of the church says, well, you kind of need a year. You kind of need three years of the same thing cycling around. And if you, you live into that, you'll learn. So they're there to serve us. Feasts and fasts. We're in the season of Easter. The sixth Sunday of Easter. This is Christ risen from the dead. Uh, in the bigger picture, there's, there's the realm of the dead underneath. That's Adam and Eve lifting Adam and Eve, trampling down death by death, and on those in tombs bestowing life. That's the invitation, the reflection, the atmosphere of Easter. To view our lives through lenses of hope, I guess you could say. To view human history through a lens of hope. To view everything in light of Easter Sunday. Lent is to be realistic about heartache and pain and suffering and difficulties and trials and our own fallenness and brokenness that needs to be mended and restored. Lent is about the reality that we go through seasons that feel like a desert or a wilderness or a storm. Come out the other side of Lent. That's 40 days, takes us to Easter. Easter's 50 days. Easter's 50 days. And Easter, you're not allowed to fast. There's no fasting in Easter. Easter is 50 days of celebration, 50 days of lifting our eyes, of, of, of looking through the lenses of resurrected Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, it's an invitation to lift our countenance, to lift our heart, the, to lift the very disposition of our lives and to look with faith and hope and trust and belief that all things are going to be put back together. To live and look and love in light of Easter. Our great anticipation of the restoration and reconciliation of all things being made new. Anticipation that will ultimately be actualized. Up on the, the next slide. These are a couple of the passages we'll go through this morning. Uh, the first two, or the first one, earliest one in terms of the Bible, Psalm 67. The later one, Revelation 21 and 22, kind of serve as two good bookends to this idea of anticipation and then actualization. Let's read Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us. Bless us. Make his face shine upon us. This is a prayer. This is a request. This is whoever wrote the psalm praying a, a prayer and a request of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. God, so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you. May all people praise you. God, please let, let all of this world come under your righteous rule and reign. May the land yield its harvest. God, our God, bless us. Let creation, you know, produce that which is to produce without bounty or toil. May God bless us still so that on all the ends of the earth, people will fear him. That is that people will come to a, a reverent respect and awe and a wonder that they come into a place of discipleship and dedication under God. And the, and the, the psalm here in Psalm 67, it's, it's this prayer of hope and faith and trust that, uh, a, a, a wishing, you could say, but I don't mean that in a flippant way. This is the, this is the, the cry. This is the, the hope. This is the, this is the thing that the psalmist is crying out for and believing for. And then we jump forward to Revelation 21 and 22. It's this vision 
that John has of a new Jerusalem. Uh, new Jerusalem. It's the reunification of heaven and earth, the dwelling place of God once again coming to be with mankind. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The psalmist has said, let your face shine upon us. We jump forward to Revelation 21 and 22. The very light of the world is the glory of God and of the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. This is what the psalmist was wanting. Salvation of the nations, the worship of the nations, discipleship and dedication, everyone under the rule and reign of God. On no day will its gates be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The psalmist is, has been praying that the land would yield its harvest, that God would bless us, that God would sustain us. And by the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we see God sustaining all people, not with grain and pomegranates, but the, the, the very presence of God is that which sustains humanity. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. It's not talking about there's no more day and night in the sense of a recreative. It's talking about there's no more darkness. There's no more death. There's no more despair. There's no more destruction. It's all being put back together. And they will reign forever and ever. God the Lamb will reign forever and ever. Anticipation and actualization. These are the passages that are given to us in this season of Easter where we're called to look through the lens of the resurrected Christ and to find hope. To hold on to hope. No longer a world of emotional toxicity. Of interpersonal wars. Of actual wars. No longer the disorientation and internal fragmentation that happens as we face our own inner battles and struggles to be the people that we're called to be. Instead, all is made right, restored, healed, put back together under the rule and reign of God. That's the invitation of Easter. It's quite different to Lent. It's quite different to Lent. This is the lens of resurrection life that, that sees that we, we have great faith and hope and trust and confidence in God that all will be made well. All manner of things will be made well. Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in tombs bestowing life. So two of the lectionary readings for today, they give us the, the bookends. But the other readings give us a little bit of hope in the in-between time, in the now but not yet. What's the now but not yet? The now but not yet is the kingdom of God that is breaking into the here and now. And we experience life and hope and healing and all sorts of good things. And yet at the same time, there's brokenness and strife as well. It's now but not yet. It's known in part but not in full. These passages from the lectionary today, they give us hope and confidence in the middle bit as well. 
John 5, verse 1 to 9. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Near the Sheep Gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. There's a pool with some pillars around it and a roof. And they're paralyzed and the lame and the blind hang out there. And every now and then the water's stirred and first in gets healed. I'm not sure what's going on there. That's a trip. <laughs> Check the commentaries. Commentators weren't sure what's going on there. Something happened. A myth, a reality, a hopeful expectation, a folk tale, some old wives' tale. Um, just the place that the lane would hang out because there was shade and a pool and maybe the baths were refreshing every now and then. It's, it's hard to get your finger on exactly what's happening. Another passage talks of an angel touching the water and the first thing would get healed. It's, there's a mystery to that that we won't try to unpack. But when you're paralyzed and it's first in, first served, challenging. It's a challenging situation to be in the pool first. Um, very difficult. And if I was a youth pastor and 20 years younger, we could unpack more around that, but we, we don't, because we grow in the things of God. Very challenging. I don't know what's happening there. There's a mystery of what's happening there. Either way, there's a guy that's been there for 38 years, and the current operating system of the, of the world, the scenario, is not working for him. The, the, it's, it's not bringing him the life, the hope, the vitality, the healing that he's looking for. Whatever it is that he's looking for, it's not working for him and hasn't been working for 38 years. Current best practice isn't working for him. Current strategy he has in order to find the good life isn't working for him. Current thing that he's putting his hope in to find all that he's been looking for. It's not working for him and hasn't been working for him for 38 years. You can probably be reasonably confident that it's not going to work in the next 38 years. Whatever it is that he's putting his hope in, it is not working. And Jesus comes along and says, allow me to interject. Allow me to interrupt the situation. Allow me to offer something beyond the status quo. Allow me just to be present to you in this situation. Do you wish to be healed? Yes, but I can't get in the pool. That's all good. Take up your mat and walk. He just shows up and there's this divine encounter and this miracle that takes place and the man goes from there. We don't read that Jesus explained to them that waiting by the pool was maybe not the best practice or was wishful thinking or was an old wives' tale or would be very challenging for the paralytic. Um, find another system. Text doesn't tell us that he moved around and healed all the rest of the people that were gathered there. Just tells us that there's this one man had this divine encounter that interrupted the status quo and his life was not the same after that. 
pick up your mat and walk. Well, we're reminded in Easter that Jesus still does that sort of thing today. Jesus interrupting the status quo is still something that we can know in the here and now of our lives today. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. Resurrection life isn't just the thing of tomorrow, but the thing that is invading the here and now. The passage calls us to hope and confidence that maybe somehow Christ could show up in your world, in your situation, where the status quo, the standard status quo, the best operating procedures, the, the, the wisdom of the moment doesn't seem to be working. We have this hope, well, God, I'm looking to you and I'm believing that somehow Jesus could show up and do something still today. I ordered a book a while ago. I had it recommended to me and I thought it would be a good book to read. When I say a while ago, I mean like six or seven years ago. And uh, when it arrived, not now, it didn't take six or seven years. When it arrived, six or seven days after ordering it, it was the companion journal. And so I didn't read the book and I couldn't be bothered ordering it again. I had a friend uh, recommend to me earlier this year, oh, you should read such and such a book. I said, oh, I I ordered that book six or seven years ago, but the companion journal turned up. He said, ah, I ordered it too, and the companion journal turned up. Uh, But he went and reordered it and read it. He said, you should read this book. So I ordered the book. Uh, This time I got it on a Kindle. It it, it showed up five or seven seconds later. (laughs) And I read it that night and the next day. Read it in in 24 hours And it was the perfect book for me to read in that moment, in that situation. There was just a few lines in it, two particular chapters, a few lines in it that were just like, God, I feel like you've just interrupted my life in this moment to speak these words that I needed to hear. They're framing everything really different for me in this moment. Man. Now I've been able to have a couple of conversations with some people going, hey, hey, let me reframe that for you in light of reading this book. I think this could help you. That's that, that's really helpful. That makes a huge difference. Well, what do you say? Well, you say there's a mystery to that. You say maybe there's some providence in that. You say maybe God was in that somehow. You say maybe Jesus interrupted your life in that moment and the, the companion journal came then and not now and now you've got the book. And maybe that was as it should be in the divine order of things. And you say maybe it was. I can't write a book about it and I can't tell you that it's definitely that. But I can tell you that with eyes of faith, I think that God did the right thing in the right moment that I needed now. And if I had read it six or seven years ago, I don't really see what the big deal is with this. It's like, ah, this is landing now. Mystery, providence, surprise that God can show up. That Jesus can show up in the midst of your life and bring divine encounters. Next passage, John 14, 23 to 29. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So in between the anticipation and the actualization, there's this call to listen to the teaching of Jesus and to be obedient. And to watch as you do that. To watch as you're obedient. That, that God makes, takes up, makes his home in you, around you, through you, present to you. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. So not, don't just be obedient, but trust that the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you and guide you and lead you in all things. Pay attention. 
Make space for the Spirit. Slow down, tune in, listen to that whisper of the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. What's the kind of peace that the world gives? The kind of peace the world gives is shallow and fleeting. You know, based on circumstances, I will have peace if I get the iPhone 13. And you get the iPhone 13 and you have incredible peace for about four weeks. And then the iPhone 14 comes out. You're like, oh, I do not have peace anymore. I need to pursue the peace again. Or I'll, it will be, I mean, this is a classic. I'll, I'll have peace once I get a girlfriend. I will have peace once we're engaged. Once we're married, then we'll have peace. Once we have our kids, then we'll have peace. Once the kids move out of home, then we will have peace. (laughs) Once we retire, we'll we'll know peace. It's like, you're starting, you keep putting it off. There's only death left now, and you will have peace in death. (laughs) You maybe need to look for peace earlier in something beyond the circumstances. The world offers this fleeting peace, this temporary peace. The, The peace of Rome was, look at the Roman Empire, how peaceful it is. Yeah, it is. It really is peaceful. Because right? uh, if you protest, you get your head chopped off or you get crucified. So everyone is very calm and like, we're not protesting. We love Caesar. Caesar's amazing. It's not the peace that God gives us. God gives us ocean deep peace beyond circumstances. And Easter is an invitation into that. The, the, the peace that comes with the resurrection life of Christ. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and I'll come back to you. Anticipation, actualization. Um, if you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Believe this big plan of Jesus, this death and resurrection plan. Believe this gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come and guide you in all truth. Believe that being obedient opens the door for Christ taking up residence in your life and divine encounters. Believe that things can be turned around as we follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Following, in the leading, following the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be unhinged and weird. We've all encountered super spiritual people who are just super weird. Everything's a sign. Everything is a, everything is a thing. I, I got dressed early and came in this morning. Lisa got dressed later and came in later. We're in uniform again. The black, the canvas, the same color. That's the sign that we were always meant to be together. It's like, it's not, it's not. I don't know what that means. More likely though, if you're single. It's like, look what I'm wearing. Look what, it's a sign we are meant together. It's not, it's not. I don't, I don't think that, that's a sign. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be, you know, everything's not coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Just breathe. But we have to be open to the divine leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives to the providence of God the mystery of God at work in our lives that when a companion journal arrives rather than the book and you don't bother reordering the book and you wait seven years be open to going well maybe that was the Holy Spirit maybe maybe God was in that strangely enough like I said I'm not going to turn that into a book but maybe God was in that strangely enough. I just, and if I wasn't the preacher, I would have just kept that story to myself and gone, God, I think you might be in this. Go like, do this. I go, I think God might have been in this. And you can all go, he's the weird one. No, we've got to be open to that. Maybe that is exactly what happened. Let 
open to the whisper of the Holy Spirit that brings peace and guidance and divine encounter. Last one, Acts 16. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that's Paul had a dream that a dude said, come to Macedonia. And he woke up in the morning, he goes, we should go to Macedonia. I had a dream. So Paul's opened that maybe the dream was the divine interruption and guiding of God. So they traveled to Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. They'd set up, aside from synagogues, Christians started setting up places of prayer where where they could gather and, and be. And beside a river was pretty common. And they sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. That was the prayer that we prayed this morning. At least that's a weird prayer. It just ties into these scriptures. Once, uh, one of those listening was a woman, a woman from the city of Thyteria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So she's a worshipper of God. She's, she's faithful unto Yahweh, but maybe not aware of Christ. Maybe not aware of the Son of God coming and giving his life. So Paul preaches the gospel to her. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. This is Luke telling the story. Uh, she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. So Paul has this dream which he considers to be a divine interruption. Travels to Macedonia. Go, they go out to pray and they have an encounter with these ladies and they preach the gospel and this lady Lydia gets saved and all of her household gets saved. It's divine interruption. So in the set prayer this morning, we prayed, grant that we may be like Paul. That was our prayer this morning. Grant that we may be like Paul. What does it mean to be like Paul? Open to the divine interruptions of God, the the leading, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we'd be open to responding to that and see where that might take us. Grant that we may be like Paul and found like Lydia. That, that, that would be receptive to those that have had that divine encounter and have somehow crossed our paths to be a blessing to us. Our hearts responsive to your word and open to go where you lead us. The prayer this morning. Open to divine interruption, attentive to the spirit, obedient and walking the way of Jesus. Our, li- our lives, your life, my life, has the potential to serve in the economy of God as a divine interruption in other people's lives. Maybe when my friend recommended that book to me, maybe that was a divine interruption in my life. Attentive to the reality that the lives of others have the potential to be a divine interruption in our lives, and sometimes we to be a divine interruption in the life of this is the part of the Easter season that we're, we're in. To live with eyes of faith and trust and hope and possibility and confidence and through the lens of resurrection life saying it's all being put back together and maybe we get to participate in the putting of it all back together. Lives of faith and obedience in between the anticipation and the actualization. The work of a one another community, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. Loving one another, caring for one another. Naturally, supernatural. Maybe open to Christ interrupting our world with the whisper of the Holy Spirit.
you never know what could happen. All right, let's stand together. Anticipation and actualization. The gap in between, oh, we can maybe jump back one slide for a little bit. The gap in between creates the possibility of both tension and opportunity. The, the gap in between creates tension, but it invites opportunity as well. It calls us to faith and attentiveness. Navigating the now but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Life isn't passive. You don't get to sit back and watch. It requires engagement. Our world's a theater for action. The question, therefore, is how shall we act? Well, the lectionary reminds us we should act like this. Open to divine interruptions of Christ in our lives. That's how we should act. We should act with an attentiveness to the Holy Spirit that might whisper, guide us, lead us. We should be open to being conduits of the goodness of God to other people. And expect that somehow, every now and then, other people are going to be that to us as well. posted something about a different book, a whole different book, a novel, on uh, Facebook one time. I said, I know, it's, I know it's just like popular fiction or whatever kind of thing. Um, and my uncle responded. He said, well, not everything has to be a Russian tragedy. I was like, well, isn't that good? Not everything has to be a Russian tragedy. That's, that's good, because I've tried to read a few of them, and I've not finished any of them. <laughs> the Brothers Karasmov, it's amazing. I'm like three times into three chapters, and it's not gripping me. Not everything has to be a Russian tragedy. Not everything is Lent. Lent's just 40 days. It's just 40 days. Easter's 50 and you're not allowed to fast. And then ordinary time is like most of the rest of the year up until uh, Advent. So what does that remind us? It reminds us, hey, we need to make a little bit of space for Lent and the, the heartaches and the pains of life. We need to be open to way more open to divine interruptions of God that can happen in our world that we can be that to others be, be more open to that live with that lens and also remember it's going to mostly be ordinary and there's going to be a lot of ordinary in between so just love god faithfully and journey faithfully and be, be christ to one another in that season let me close in prayer